from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the legislature today, children in crisis and a foster care system under the microscope. The new Senate Select Committee on Children and Families had its first meeting this morning where the dire needs of the state's 10,000 homeless students and 7,000 foster children are the focus. Later during the floor session, senators expressed both urgency to act now and the need to take the long view. These are our kids, our kids, who have needs right now, particular needs that are very difficult to meet. Food, shelter, clothing, love, support. And I've heard someone say recently that West Virginia's made a comeback. I'd say come back to reality, where we have 10,522 homeless students in the state of West Virginia. It's not a comeback story until our kids come back home. So, you know, we can spend time on a $100 million tax cut, and we can spend time on a $10 million court. That's fine. But don't tell me we don't have time for 10,522 students who are homeless in the state of West Virginia right now. We do. We have plenty of time. That's a priority. There's room on our agendas. Let's debate it. One of the big problems that we have with growing the growing need for in our foster care system and DHHR and the safety net population in the state is that those parents of those children, one, start without hope and then proceed without jobs. And so I would encourage you that when you have these concerns, it's really easy to get up here and tout about, you know, we, got, we, we have people in need and we need to spend all this spot right here and not in the other spots that grow the state. If you really and truly have a concern for the safety and happiness and prosperity and future of West Virginians that follow us, you'll start looking with a longer-term vision and realize that the people that you're so concerned about right now, you're helping their children and grandchildren. Because right now, if we don't fix that, the generational problem gets worse. If I can speak on behalf of the senator from Greenbrier County, what he was trying to say is if we don't deal with this issue now, there will be no children, there will be no grandchildren to take those jobs that you seek to create. Um, there was an article in the Charleston Gazette this morning about the statistics of individuals who are in our foster care system and how few of those individuals go on to college or go on to trade school or go on to do anything. And I think it's something that we need to address. It is long-term taking care of those 10,000 homeless children. It is long-term thinking or consideration and vision when you take care of our foster care system and our children in that system. Staff at the Department of Health and Human Resources often struggle to find quality foster families to take in children in need of homes. Reporter Roxy Todd will speak to lawmakers about this and other challenges in just a moment, but first her visit with foster families. 
Across West Virginia, abuse and neglect cases have resulted in the removal of thousands of children from their family homes. Close to 7,000 have become foster children. The best chance many of these kids have is if a relative can take them in. In Ravenswood, Melissa Liston is raising her 12-year-old grandson and her three-year-old granddaughter. Money's tight sometimes, but you know what? Those kids come through that door and they laugh and they giggle. It's worth it. That there is nothing like a three-year-old's giggle. Nothing ever makes it worth it. Whatever you've done through your life to save for your time when your kids are grown, it's gone. You've got... That's what you use to raise your grandkids. You have no more savings. You have no more retirement. Because you've started a whole new family. And you don't regret it. Liston's grandson goes to a therapist and needs extra help coping with trauma he experienced when he was living with his birth parents. Sometimes they need the extra help. You can't expect their kids. They're not adults. And they've been through fire. You gotta, you gotta treat them with gloves, not harsh treatment. It don't work. They're babies, and I'm sorry. Her grandson faced neglect and abuse when his father, Liston's son, struggled with drug addiction. Liston says she blames herself for not knowing that her own son was addicted to drugs. Just keep him close, Jack. Don't make excuses. I made those excuses. Don't do that. Because they're adults. They still need you. Breaking that cycle of addiction takes love and a lot of parenting, Liston says. She worries about the other children out there in need of foster homes who don't have someone available to take them in. This is where kids end up into drugs, into jail, because no one cares. No one wants to step up and take responsibility this time of the year. Are they cold? Are they hungry? I can't stand the thought of a kid. I can't stand the thought of anybody, adult or child, being hungry or cold. I just can't. It's not in me. But kids pull up my heartstrings more than anything. Liston is what's known as a kinship foster parent. Research suggests children in kinship homes have better behavioral and mental health outcomes than children who are placed with a stranger. That's why child and protective service workers try to find a kinship home for children first. But if they can't find a relative, they turn to a foster care agency. Yeah. Okay. Charlotte Barnett is a social worker with the Children's Home Society. When a CPS worker calls looking for a foster family, She's often the one who takes the call, right. day or night. How old is he? All right, he have his birthday? All right, does he have any meds or behaviors? Okay. On many days, there are more children in need of homes than families who are available to take them. Uh, I'm just gonna have to send this one out statewide. In this case, the child may have to relocate to a new community in a totally different part of the state. Or if no family is found, the child may end up staying temporarily in a shelter or in a state office on a cot or a blow-up mattress. Those who are placed in homes often arrive abruptly in the middle of the night, most of their possessions stuffed inside a garbage bag.
Kelly Crow and her husband have been foster parents for three years. Quality foster homes are needed. You hear horror stories of bad foster homes, and I just thought if we could help somebody, you know, we can't help everybody, but if we could help somebody, then it would probably be worth it. So we just decided to open our home. She and her husband, Darren, had only been married a year when they decided to become foster parents. Their first foster children were two five-year-old twins. You know, it was you know, a struggle for us to even get out the door sometimes. And um, our associate pastor, one evening, he called and asked, you know, it was, I think it was the second night we had him. He says, is there anything I can get you or do for you? And I was like, you know, we actually need some milk. Um, so he went to Kroger and, and got us a couple gallons of milk. And like, even though that seems like such a small thing, it was a big thing to us at the time, you know, because we couldn't get out of the house. You know, we were, you know, never been parents before. And now all of a sudden we're parents to two five-year-olds and we're trying to figure it out. Offering to bring by some groceries or a home-cooked meal are small gestures, but it's something almost anyone can do to support foster families. Darren and Kelly also say they wish there was more support from social workers and training in dealing with difficult behaviors. One thing I think I would change though is just like more information when you go into a placement. I think that's, and I don't think that's anyone's in fault in particular, but still a lot of times it would be helpful to know, um, have maybe some more background information when you take on a child to know exactly what you're dealing with and what they've experienced. That way you know how to better um, care for them and, and deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Some foster parents say they would like more support from fellow foster families. Last December, in an interim session of the legislature, Marissa Sanders, who runs an advocacy group for foster parents, presented the findings of a survey her group helped collect from a thousand foster parents. The main thing that people said about support in terms of who it was coming from was that they really, really wanted more access to peer support from other foster adoptive and kinship families. So while training was helpful and while services from social workers was, was useful and important for them, they really wanted more time to build relationships with other foster families, to connect with other foster kinship and adoptive families, and to really be able to talk about their own experiences with people who are living similar things. Sanders says many of the foster parents across the state feel invisible, like they don't have a voice, and are frustrated by the system, which often gives conflicting information. These are some of the main reasons, says Sanders, she thinks so many foster parents burn out and why other potential families might be hesitant to open their homes. Good evening, I'm Roxy Todd. Joining us now are Senator Patricia Rucker, member of the Senate Select Committee on Children and Families, Delegate Barbara evans Fleshauer, Minority Chair of House Judiciary, and Senator John Unger, member of the Senate Health and Human Resources Committee. Thank you all for joining me. So you're all committed in one way or another on working on these issues, foster care. Let's just go around first and tell me, tell us the, first, the number one thing that you would like to do to help the foster care kids in our state. Well, I can tell you that I um, pushed for the creation of the Select Committee on Children and Families because as the interim committee was meeting, and it's been meeting on these issues for over two years, just the overwhelming crisis, you know, and, and how it's just gotten so much worse because of the drug and opioid addiction problems in the state. And I feel, um, you know, the foster parents, like Marissa Sanders mentioned, they need more support. They need a bigger voice. They need to be taken more seriously. And I also feel 
we need to do something about uh, the number of CPS workers. We just need more. So, you know, one of the things that was mentioned in your documentary was, you know, how they wish they had more help from social workers. And we just don't have enough in the state of West Virginia. Delegate. Thank you. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with pay. Um, if, if children truly are our most precious resource, um, then we need to make sure that we pay social workers a fair wage. I mean, they have a master's degree, they have a bachelor's degree, and they earn way less than, say, the engineers that work at DEP. And um, same thing with the foster families. If we are going to say, we are giving you our most precious, um, children are our most precious resource, and we want you to love them, and we want you to take care of them as if they were your own child, and we pay them $20 a day a day for 24-hour care. They're on call. And so I'm really pleased that we are going to be increasing that rate, at least on the House side. I hope that stays in our foster care legislation. But I think, I think you get what you pay for. And we need um, our child protective service workers burnout, our foster families burnout. And if they felt, I think that um, people want to feel valued. And that's the one, one of the ways we show value in our, in, our, in our state and in our country. And Senator Unger, I know that you've worked a lot, um, both in your own ministry as well as in the Senate. What do you think could help? Well, building on what they have said, but um, one of the things I noticed from your documentary was this, the need for peer, um, foster families helping foster families. There's two types of recovery. There's the individual recovery, which we do a lot of focus in on it. But there's also something called societal recovery, community recovery. And what I'd like to see is so often for the young people, the foster children, we treat them like objects. We do things to them. Or we treat them like recipients. We do things for them. But very rarely ever, we ever treat them like resources, doing things, things with them. And what I'd like to focus in on, what I have been focusing in on, is how do you build those resiliency skills so that youth can help youth? I mean, there's very little discussion I even heard in the documentary about how are young people being able to help each other? Because by them helping each other, they build those resiliency skills. And sometimes the young people, their first line of defense is each other in this area. And so I, I, as far as I think where we really need to start, where we haven't really been having those conversations, is how do we treat our foster children, our children in general, even in our schools, how do we start treating them like resources, doing things with them, establishing those resiliency skills, and have them help each other and build that community? Right. Um, kinship parents, oftentimes grandparents, are a lot of the foster families out there who are really taking a lot of this on. I mean, we have great grandparents taking care of infants. Is there anything that you would like to do that would help these families? Well, definitely any discussion we have about strengthening and supporting foster families includes, of course, kinship. Uh, it, they have to be part of it. And, um, you know, again, some of them, sometimes it's grandparents, great-grandparents. It could be uncles, aunts. And they have to take these kids, even, even if they're members of their family, sometimes without any warning, without any, you know, preparation for it. And obviously all the supports that we give foster families, we need to make certain are there for kinship families too. 
One thing that we have done on the House side and the Senate side has worked on this too is created um, a foster child and a foster parent bill of rights. And um, I have talked to kinship families and grandparents especially and they are so frustrated with the system. Um, I know people that don't want anything to do with the system because there are so many rules and so many regulations and so many hoops to jump through. And they are handling sometimes four of their grandchildren and having to make sure they get to school, make sure they get their medicine that they need and, 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 and they're just frantic with this responsibility. And so I think that that's one of the things the Bill of Rights is designed to do is, is to figure out ways that we can clarify what their role is and, and hopefully make their lives a little easier. And I, I would echo that as, as far as, again, getting support for the family. I mean, it's one thing placing the child in the family um, of a kinship or in a foster family. But one thing we learned is that when, when people could call out and say, what do you need? We need milk. And the family re or and the community responded in a sense. So, you know, once I think sometimes we really depend too much on government to solve the problem that we really don't do community development and really get out there and look at how do we develop those wraparound services? How do we develop those uh, common unity aspects in a community to support those families? Because once a child's placed there, especially in West Virginia, we have a, a large proportion of grandparents raising their grandchildren. Matter of fact, it's starting to become the rule versus the exception. And that's scary because what's gonna happen, now I'm hearing great-grandparents are raising their children. There's gonna be a time that that's gonna be stripped out the generation. Who's gonna be raising our next generation of children? So the only way we're gonna solve this is actually really address it at the community level, which also supports the family level. Right. I've, I've spoken with judges who say that the there's really tight turnarounds for parents who've lost custody of their children, who struggle with substance abuse. Um, you know, last year in West Virginia, we saw a new program, a pilot program to do family treatment court aimed at protecting children while helping per parents um, overcome substance abuse disorders. While we wanna keep these kids safe, um, there's a lot of parents out there who struggle with addiction. How do you feel about compassion in dealing with these parents while also taking care of the kids? Well, we definitely talked about that in the interim committee on children and families. Uh, you, it's a balancing act right. because we want to protect the, the kids, obviously. But um, I certainly do not want to penalize parents for getting help. And, and there should be a, you know, to me, some of the parents that we heard from, knowing that they could still see their child and visit their child gave them the inspiration to keep going and I've been able to go to some of these um, drug court you know graduations and you know having their family there was a huge support for them when they were you know going through the treatment and everything so it's a balancing act I, I don't think you can do a one-size-fits-all for sure when you say it was brought up was there a discussion on is there disagreement, I guess, on there how? Is, there is, there was, um, we, we brought up the topic of when it's the right time to terminate parental rights. And that's what led us to that discussion and we had speakers come in to talk about it. Senator Unger, anything to add about 
that. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of times when parents, a parent is struggling in their recovery that their child is taken away from them. And the, the science, that's the worst thing to do is, is to isolate or disconnect because the opposite addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite addiction is connection. And as uh, Senator Rucker mentions, a child can be a, a purpose for that person in recovery. You take away the very purpose. You take away their hope, and therefore the, the drive's not there to recover. So we have to look at, yes, protecting the child. Addiction is a disease. We don't take children away from people with diabetes. We don't take children away from people with cancer. If we're gonna treat the addiction as a disease, then why are we taking children away from people with addiction? Now, I understand if they're being abused and other aspects, absolutely. But to automatically say, you're addicted, you have this disease, we're taking your child, only drives that person in an area of hopelessness and therefore starts complicating the recovery effort. And we have to stop that. Yeah. I want to tack on to what uh, Senator Unger said about wraparound services. Mm -hmm. um, not only do the children need that, but the whole family needs that. And I. You know, I think we have to come back to money. I mean, we have had something forced upon us by some companies that have, you know, just made huge profits. And so we are about to lose a generation of children. With the couple, regards to the drug companies yes, bringing in the opioid yes, epidemic. But, and so, so we are leaving these families um, to fend for themselves when they hardly know what's happened to them with this mind-altering substance, that some of them had issues with dental surgery. I mean, this, this, this is evil. And so I, I really think that the wraparound services are demonstrated to help both for the children and for the families. We have so many issues in rural communities, like it helps somebody who has a problem with addiction to get a job. Do they have a car? Can they drive? Or do they have fines because they lost their driver's license and drove to their job without that. I mean, we have, it is very, very many services we need for these families. And if, if we don't invest in our future with these wraparound services, we are going to lose a generation. If I could build on that, in a sense, it's just not government. Um, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Our Kids, and he's a psychiatrist um, out of uh, Harvard. And in that book, he talks about in the 60s and the 70s, when people used to say, let's do something for our kids, they meant the children of the whole community. But he said today, when someone says, let's do something for our kids, people are saying their own children alone. See, we're gonna have to start getting a mindset where we all have to have that wraparound services. We have to have communities of recovery. The government is a component, but where's the faith community? Now, I'm a pastor of three different denominations of three different churches. Where's the faith community in this discussion? There are pockets of it. They're coming forward. Where's the civic organizations? Where are these things? All sectors of our community needs to be firing on this. This is our future. And without it, I don't know. We're not going to attract industry. We're not going to attract businesses if we don't have the workforce. Workforce participation is one of the lowest in the country in West Virginia because of Appalachian fatalism. I'm, I'm convinced of this. People have given up hope, so they've even stopped trying to find a job. They don't even go to the unemployment office anymore. We've got to somehow look at community development, and government is a partner in that. 
but it's not the total solution. We need to find ways in which we do that. And there are examples of that, and we need to lift those up and coordinate those and collaborate with those. And replicate them. And Absolutely. replicate them. I agree 100%. Yeah. We know that a lot of the, part of the root causes of our foster care crisis are, is the opioid epidemic. What about unplanned pregnancies? Is there anything that could be altered in our foster care crisis? Do you think if we look seriously at how we talk to our young people about birth control um, and other reproductive health issues? Well, I mean, I, I'm not so sure about that. I will tell you that um, obviously we do already have um, what they call sex education in the public schools. And um, I guess we could see it whether or not there's something we can do in that area. Haven't really brought it up. Yeah. Well, we often say don't do stuff, it's just don't say no. But we never give an alternative of what to say yes to. And if you talk to young people, they say, well, there's nothing else to do in my community except for the drugs or the sex. And so that's another thing in the sense of what are we doing with after school programs such as Boys and Girls Club, athletics, things like that where, pe where our young people are engaged. The other time is when we were growing up as children, many times we were let go and we'd come back at, at, when, as soon as it was dark. Today people are scared to death to let their children out of their sight these days because of fear. And so because of that we create isolation and out of isolation then all these other issues start coming into play. And so until we provide other healthy alternatives for young people to engage in, we're gonna be constantly fighting this, don't say no, but then what? Right. And so that's, that's one of the things we need to be investing in is the after school programs, boys and girls clubs, some of these other things that our youth can be engaged in and be healthy. And families too. Right. Such a good conversation. We have to cut it off there, sorry. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Senator Patricia Rucker and Delegate Barbara evans Fleshauer and Senator John Unger. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you. And tomorrow on the Legislature Today, join us for our Friday Reporters Conversation about all the activity this week at the Capitol and a look ahead to what's on the calendar next week. I'm Roxy Todd. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Thank you.